Thank you for tuning in to Conroe United Pentecostal Church today. We pray that this podcast is a blessing to you. If there is ever anything we can do for you, please email admin at conroeupc.org. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Isn't God good? Aren't you thankful that He hears you? He cares for you. He never fails you. Amen. I'm so thankful for each of you this morning. Can't express my appreciation and love enough. Thank you for your kindness, kindness and love for our family over these years. Amen. I want the will of God to be done in our church. I want it to be done in everything that we do. Amen. Tonight, tonight in the parking lot, it's a chance for us to share love. Uh, outside of our church. And so we're going to give a gift to our neighborhood uh, of this event. And I pray that the blessings of the Lord be upon that this evening. Amen. Genesis chapter number 37. Amen. So thankful that everyone's here today. Good to see General here today. Amen. Amen. Glad to see him. I'm Glad Ben's back there today. Love Ben. Good to see him. And when you start calling names, it's hard to stop. So we'll stop and just um, and do it that way. Amen. Genesis chapter 37, verse number, begin reading in verse number 31 this morning. Amen. So they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats. And dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Know now whether it be your son's coat or not. And he knew it and said, It is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. So Jacob rent his clothes, put on sackcloth. He mourned for his son many days, and all the sons and all of his daughters rose up to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted, saying, For I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Amen. I want to talk to you this morning. I want to talk to you this morning about the paradox of a bloody report. Paradox of a bloody bloody report. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Amen. We know him well. We have learned of him. We've heard him taught and used in lessons. He has appeared and made great debuts in sermon after sermon. That young man whom was the favored son of his father named Joseph. Born the youngest of all of his brothers. But as most youngest children are, 
he was the favorite. Or any younger children, the youngest children here, to anybody here, the youngest child in your family, we need to see your hands because um, you are the ones that the oldest in our family hated. <laughs> because we bore pain for you, and we had to do stuff for you, and there was a different set of expectations upon we the eldest as was on you the youngest. Amen. The rules changed by the time mom and dad got to having you. They were 40 years old. They were tired of chasing and whipping kids. So they got their whipping out of their system on us. And you didn't get nearly enough whippings, Megan. So that's just a little thing that I thought would be interesting to discuss for a moment today. But born the youngest of all of his brothers, the favorite of his father, apparently... Not only was he the favorite of his father, but Joseph also had somehow gained the favor of God. And God's favor is not easy. God's favor is not easy. While dad would present him coats of many colors and allow him special honors and special privileges, because naturally, naturally, We love to spoil our children. But God's favor is not so easy. In Joseph's case, the favor of his father and the favor of his God evoked a sense of envy in his brothers. What a terrible way it is to live. Bothered, upset, and envious of your brother's blessings, bothered that your brother is doing well, envious that it seems that your brother is elevated a bit higher than you are. I stand at, I stand amazed at the way that the blessings of God have has been placed on many of, of my friends and people that I, I'm acquainted with. I marvel at at some of them, at how that it seems that the blessings of God just seem to abound and abound and abound upon them. However, I, as a person, I refuse to accept the pitfalls of envy or jealousy on my part over the blessings of God that have been given to them. I've come to an understanding that their gifts are not my gifts, nor are my gifts their gifts. And, and while, while they are able to do things and have things at times that I am not able to do and might not have, I've also come to recognize that there are things that I do Things that I'm gifted with that many of them are not. And so probably, probably having not had this discussion necessarily with many of them, I observe their blessings and I rejoice for them. And I am certain they've observed me in my life and they, they have looked at things that have been placed in me, gifts and blessings that have been placed in me, and they too have looked and noticed that in some ways I am blessed in ways 
that they are not blessed. I want to be blessed when you're blessed. I want to be able to rejoice when you rejoice. I want to be able to be excited over the things of God, the blessings of God that are happening in your life. The verse, the scripture says, weep with those that weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. So I want to rejoice in your blessings. And in the moments when you walk through times of trouble and trauma, disappointment and pain, when you, when you walk that path of being a weeper, I also, I want to be able to understand and weep when you weep. I don't want to be that person who looks over and sees someone in their season of weeping and say, oh, well, they deserve it. Oh, well, they had it coming. I've been telling them I don't ever want to to be that I told you so person. But I want to rejoice when my brother is blessed. But also I want to weep when he stands in the valley of the shadow of disappointment. And I want to rejoice when he rejoices. And I want to weep when he weeps. If you get a new car, I want to rejoice. If you get a house with seven more bedrooms than you've got now, I want to rejoice. If your bank accounts are just bulging and flowing over and they flow like the rivers of Babylon. I want to rejoice in you. If you're able to rejoice when you're, if you're able to retire when you're 29 years old, I just send my favor and send my love your way because I want to rejoice and enjoy your blessings. But also when you weep, I hope you look up and see me weeping right there with you. When you're in a broken place, I hope you understand that I want to be there as well. Well, we all must come to understand that God has made each of us uniquely uh, and, and, and he's designed us uh, with, uh, with uh, certain things that each of us uh, have uh, that are unique. Uh, our DNA, your DNA, your personality, your family, your friends, these things are all God designed. You are who you are. Your personality is what it is. Your gifts and your talents are what they are. And I rejoice in that. You are uniquely godly designed to be a unique you. So therefore, I would suggest this morning that you try to be the very best you that you can be. I can never be you and you will never be able to be me. You may emulate emulate something in in, in my life and and I may admire something and try maybe to strive to be better in areas of my life that you are. But today, please understand, if there's anything that each of us should try to do is be the best me, be the best you, understanding God has gifted each of us in certain ways. Uh, Somebody asked me this week why I don't get up there and sing when they're 
singing in the service. Uh, I begin to explain to them that I don't sing very good. Uh, I know a couple of songs. Uh, I make up the words to those. Uh, and if I'm asked to stand with somebody else uh, and sing, uh, if two of us are singing, there's going to be problems. Uh, if you've noticed it before, my wife and I have one song that we sing together. Well, I'd say all the words. Uh, I do all the singing. She stands there because she knows I'm making up the words as I go. And she, it, we just, it just doesn't work. I don't have certain, certain abilities. And besides that, when my daughter-in-law Kayla sings, I, I really would not want to sing with her and intimidate her with my incredible, incredible talents. So I want her to be the best her. And I'll just keep being the best me that I can be me. Here is the real reality that I want you to think about. There's only one person in this world who can make or break you in this life, and it is you. Nobody can make you better, and nobody can make you worse. But in this life, the devil can't keep you from living for God. Hell can't keep you from living for God. Family and friends can't prevent you from being the best that you can be. Every single one of us is given our unique cross to bear. I don't understand why the Wilma family has been given the cross where Brother Marvin now in a facility for this length of time. I don't understand why they carry that particular cross. Nor do I understand why others carry their particular cross. But this I understand. Every one of us has a cross that we bear. Every one of us has something that we deal with. Every one of us Every single one of us must walk this life with faith and confidence in God and understanding that we carry the cross that God has uniquely placed into our life. Which brings me to a point. Do I carry that burden with grace? Do I carry that cross with with, with kindness and with thankfulness in my heart? Am I growing Weaker or stronger from the burdens uh, that I bear? Am I better or am I bitter because of the cross uh, that I'm faced uh, with carrying? Do I rejoice uh, every step uh, that I carry my cross uh, or do I whine every step uh, of this life and of this journey? I think we must understand fully God has given each of us uh, a cross to bear. God has placed in each of us unique burdens, unique gifts, unique problems. None of us are problem free. But this I know, whatever the problem that I have, he knows the way that I take. Whatever the burden that I am tasked with carrying, he knows the burden that I carry. Whatever heartache that comes my 
direction. I do not face it alone, but rather I have the confidence of knowing he knows the way that I take. I do not travel this pathway alone. He loves me and he cares for me and every step that I take, I am not by myself. Hear me today. You're not by yourself today. You may be dealing with something, but you're not by yourself. You may be carrying a load today, but you're not carrying it by yourself. This redeeming Savior, this wonderful God knows what's going on and He genuinely orchestrated and designed your life to make you better, to make you bigger, to make you grow, to make you a greater and a better person. So when I come to this reality, it makes me have to stop and say, thank you Lord for my gifts and thank you Lord for my trials. I thank you Lord for every blessing, but also Lord, I thank you for every moment that I didn't count it necessarily a blessing because I know that all things, all things work together for my good. When I'm going through great days and I know this is for my good or I'm going through difficult trials I come to understand that all things good bad they work for my good and they make me to be a better person if I am in trouble I'm going to be better if I'm carrying a burden I know I'm going to be better from that David the great king warrior the man before he ascended to the place of being king was was running for his life having been anointed king but not named king at this point when he ran and hid for his life the reports went out that David was in a certain area and men began to gather themselves all around him. We now hear the report of the mighty men of David. These mighty men that gathered where he was and would follow him and would help him during trials and during battles. But these mighty men, at the first mention of this group of men, we find three words that describe them when they were called and when they gathered themselves to David. They were distressed, they were in debt, and they were discontent. These men were men that were in trouble. These were men that were desperate and had desperate things going in their lives. Their lives were not on the right track. They were facing things. They were in desperate moments and desperate times. These were distressed men. These were men that were in debt. They could not meet the expectations that society had on them. They couldn't pay their bills. But because of that, they couldn't pay bills. Therefore, they'd find themselves coming under the burden of that. They were oppressed. They were burdened down with not being able to meet societal expectations. They were in debt. These men were not men whom were happy, but they were discontent because of the pressures of life. These, these words can be described, discontent can be described as being a malcontent, being angry or being bitter over lives, situations. These men all had their unique problems in life. They were distressed, they were debtors, and they were discontent. They had their 
their problems, but they were introduced to us as David's mighty men. If I listen to the reports of I am in distress, and I believe the reports of distress in my life, before long I'm going to be overcome and overwhelmed with, with, a, with an ugly report. If I accept the fact that I'm not able to meet the ex- expectations of society and I'm headed to a debtor's prison to be oppressed and incarcerated. If I believe those reports, there is no doubt that I will be overcome and overwhelmed with the reports that I hear. If I absolutely buy into the concept that I was a discontent, that I was bitter, that I was angry, that I was a malcontent, if I buy into this, I'll never know what the joy of the Lord was all about. These men who were described as having distress and debt and discontent in their life, in all reality, they were introduced to the world as David's mighty men. Let me just pause for a moment and say, no matter what's going on, God's got a plan to elevate you. God's got a plan to bless you. He's got a plan to move in your life. You may be going through something, but God's going to use that to lift you up and make you better. These men had problems, but they were mighty men. This makes me bring happiness and joy into my mind and my spirit because these men, these distressed, debted, and discontent men, they were David's mighty men. One of them one day killed 800 Philistines all by himself. One one day realized that his pea patch, his little garden was about to be taken away from him by a band of Philistine soldiers. He grabbed his sword. He stood in the middle of that pay patch and he said not today. I will not I will not give up my field of lentils today. And the Bible says this man fought those men from daylight until dark. He fought them all day long wielding that sword. And at the end of the, at the, end of the day his hand and clave to the sword and he was unable to release that. I like the spirit of a man that says, I'm standing here and today, devil, you're not taking this thing from me. Somebody ought to turn to somebody else and say, not today, devil. Tell them that. Be honest. It ain't happening today. I'm not giving up my kids. I'm not giving up my family. I'm not giving up my joy. Not today, devil. One of these men, one of these men one day went into a pit all by himself and killed a lion. This same fellow came out of that pit and he faced a giant that had six fingers on each hand, six toes on each foot. This man that he faced, this giant that he faced was big, bad, ugly, and he was a freak. But this man took on that crazy, freakish spirit of that crazy Egyptian that had so much 
things in his life. I say when a man makes his mind up, we're going to live for God. My family is going to live for God. There's going to be peace in my house and joy. There is no weapon. There is no devil. There is no demon. There is no spirit. There is no weird thing that can come against you and devastate and destroy you. Why do you say that? You've got your problems. But sir, you are a mighty man. Lady, you're a mighty woman of God. And when you're filled with the Holy Ghost and you walk with the confidence and the power of the Spirit, you're not going to believe the reports. You're not going to accept the bloody reports of a bloody coat. But instead, you're going to say, today, we're going to have victory in our family. Today, we're going to be an overcomer. Today, today is a great day. So allow me this morning, allow me for just a moment to tell you, it's not what you don't have, and it's not what happened to you. It's not because your mom and daddy went through something. It's not because you've been through a time of disappointment. It's not because of what happened to you or what didn't come your way. It's not because you were raised poor or because you were raised rich. I refuse to allow anything to stop us from allowing, from arriving at the place where God's got planned for us. I say it this morning. God's got a revival planned for this church. And I don't accept anything but a revival. God's got a move of his spirit planned for this church. So this morning, I say I will not accept anything less than what God has planned for us. Oh, can you clap your hands to the Lord? Amen, 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 amen. And Joseph's brothers, Joseph's brothers brought this bloody coat to their father. They had gone to the trouble of of putting Joseph in a pit and selling him and getting rid of the the one that they thought was causing the problems in their life. And Jacob, when he saw this coat that his brothers had taken off, off of the youngest son, Joseph, and they had killed a goat and soaked that coat in the goat's blood and brought it to their father. And they didn't really lie to dad. If you slow down and read that story, you find they found the bloody coat. They brought the bloody coat to their father and said, we found this coat. Do you know if this belongs, if this belongs to your son, Joseph? There was an implication there that they really didn't know what was going on when all of them had been played part in party to the problems with Joseph. But Jacob, for some reason, he accepted the false evidence that was presented to him. And to him, he made the automatic connection. My boy must be dead. He said these words, surely a beast has torn my son limb from limb. So if my boy is dead, then the dreamer is dead. And if the boy that was dreaming is dead, then my dream seems to have passed away. Some of you probably have things that you've dreamed about in your life that you have yet to see come to pass. I stand here with you 
you today to tell you it looks like the dream might be dead. It may look like you may be holding the shredded garments of a tattered dream that's dripping with the blood of disappointment. But I say unto you this morning, if God placed a dream and spoke something into your life, no matter how bloody that coat is, no matter how torn up that thing is, no matter how much you may perceive that the dream may have passed, here, pastor, this morning, your dream is not dead. God is not through with you. I preach this morning to a revival. I preach this morning to a move of God. I preach this morning to a witness of the Holy Ghost. But we must admit that sometimes our dreams seem dead. Sometimes our dreams seem dead. Yesterday, my wife and I were afforded one of the most incredible God moments that could happen. We were running errands around town and she had some things to do. And she asked if I would drop her over at Starbucks. And I would continue to run my errands and come by the church, so I did so. She was sitting over in the corner of Starbucks. And in walks a beautiful Pentecostal lady and sits across the table from her. And they begin to talk, but the words that come from this lady is, You are Sister Smith. And it turns out that this is a pastor's wife from Seattle, Washington, whom we're simply traveling through our city, going to another destination. And they stopped here at our Starbucks for just a little while. Here is a beautiful, healthy pastor and wife standing there. When I came and, and visited with them, uh, I, I thought probably if you took them out of the Starbucks setting and put them on the shelf at Target, uh, they would probably be a pretty nice Barbie and Ken. Tall and strong and beautiful people and, and, and the strength and in the prime of their life. Uh, she indicated that she had followed my wife's blogs for years and then began to tell her some of the things that they, that they had involved in in their life. They were currently their pastor at church in Seattle, Washington, and apparently they're doing quite well right now. And so when I got there and they got there and we were all in the room together, the girls continued doing what they were doing. And we guys, we got over in the corner and, and we started talking. And this man began to tell me of things in their ministry that, that were just so absolutely astounding. He he began to tell me of problems and places he'd been and the church he'd taken and disappointments that he had felt and the loss of prominent families and the loss of, of things that were, were just, uh, just unthinkable to really think that he had walked through it. Uh, he spoke of these problems. He spoke of, of untruths that had been told about him and other disappointments that he'd dealt with. And he, he just shared with me the impossibility of his circumstance. And then, then he began to tell me of some personal dilemma. It wasn't saying a poor me. We're just uh, sharing the journeys of life together. And when he was there, he said, and then he, then he said, that's when, I, that's when I started walking on this. And he talked 
He tapped his leg. And he, then he told me, he says, a few years back, uh, I, I was in an automobile accident. My wife was driving and we had an accident. Uh, and I lost a leg in that accident. And I, I walk on a prosthesis now. Well, I told you when I saw them, I thought it was Barbie and Ken had got off Target shelf and gone to Starbucks. Uh, they, he didn't look like that he walked uh, on a prosthetic limb. Didn't look like that he was walking around with, with that situation in his life. He had seemed to have recovered from this thing well. But it was in this conversation that he began to talk about the loss of his leg and that today he, he struggles and walks with this prosthetic. That the Holy Ghost swept into that Starbucks for just a moment. And it was in a clear moment that I began to share with him. And he began to share with me moments of brokenness. Moments that things had happened. And then it was in that moment that we both come to the realization that brokenness uh, seems to be able to produce greatness in our lives. And God takes the broken times. God takes the disappointing times. God takes the moments of heartache. God takes the moments uh, that we don't quite understand. God takes the moment when we lose a leg or we lose a loved one or we lose something that's incredibly important and dear to us uh, that we find that God seems to take that and multiply that and use that. He told me that just one month before that he had lost his leg, his wife had told him that she was expecting their last child. The day before he had the wreck, he having taken to church only just a few weeks before, not understanding all that was involved, he got a call from the church's bank and there was a balloon payment due on their bank. Nobody told the new pastor there was a balloon payment coming. Nobody told that they owed this incredibly large amount of money. Here they are. Here they are overwhelmed with a new place. Overwhelmed with debt. That was just an overwhelming thing. Here they were in a moment where they couldn't afford to pay attention. But now there's another baby coming to their house. And in the middle of that they have a crash. He loses his leg. He's laying flat of his back in the hospital. And it seems like the dream surely has died. And in that moment, you think, uh, what else can happen? We might as well pack up. Uh, we might as well go. But he said, in that moment, there was a nurse uh, that worked for the hospital that was charged with taking care of me. Uh, we met her. And when I got out of the hospital, she came to church uh, and got saved. She brought a friend who, who got saved. Who brought a friend who got saved. Who brought a friend who got saved. And they filled that church building up with nurses out of that hospital. You say the dream's surely dead and you're laying there flat of your back and you've lost your leg. But I say your dream may be stressed. Your dream may be taxed right now. But God can take that most disappointing moment of your life and multiply that into greatness and to revival and into blessings. 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Here he is now walking on a wooden leg. But he's testifying about a revival that came to him because of that. And this morning at the place that he's at, one of those nurses that they prayed through is going to be in attendance in that service in Houston. The the nurse prayed through in Alaska. But she'll be in church with them in Houston today. And they once again are going to be able to rejoice in the blessings of God. It looks like a dead wreck. It looks like a lost leg. It looks like a disaster. But God takes that thing. He turns it around and makes it something absolutely incredible. Hallelujah. So understand something. You may be receiving a report that things are not good. Accept the report with grace and mercy. And understand, somehow, I'm going to keep my mind right, my spirit right. And God's going to get some glory out of this thing. You may be walking through a difficult moment. You may be have given a report and something that is so sad. And something that is so disappointing. But have the right attitude. Have the right spirit and don't be that voice of woe and sadness don't give in to the pressures don't give in to the oppression don't give in to the depression but rather say I'm in this place but he knows the way that I take and he's got a plan for my life and his will is going to be done in my life I have come to declare today you have a bad report but you've got a bad God you've got a bad report but you've got a wonderful savior you've been you've been presented with irrefutable proof of a disaster but i say god can take that thing and turn it around he can transform you he can make it better hallelujah don't buy that report don't believe that report don't accept it for what it is put your trust in god put your trust and faith in him And Jacob, for years, held a blood-stained, tattered coat that was what he chose to believe and accept that my boy was dead. You have to understand that the blood, and we know this, the blood on that coat was not Joseph's blood. Therefore, if That blood on that coat was not Joseph's blood. Therefore, we have to deduce that Joseph was not dead. We know that because we read the story backwards. But we have to understand that the blood on the coat wasn't his. And Joseph was not dead. Therefore... The dreams of the dreamer were not dead. And while it looked as if there was the loss of a son and a separation and a loss of grief that was going on, it appeared to be a disaster. But all those years, there was an unfolding miraculous. There was a dream that was 
unfolding in front of their eyes. They couldn't understand it. Nor could they understand in the middle of all that why famine had come to their land. No longer, no longer not only did they deal with the griefs of that loss, but now their own personal resources were less than enough to take care of them. And they had to go to a far place to get food. They had to travel to get some wheat so they could make some bread. But all the while, the dream's not dead, but the miracle is unfolding. They arrive there to only to discover with time that the man who was charged with dispensing the blessings of God and deliverance into their life was the same one, was the same brother, who was the same one whom that they fault and they had felt like was dead all of these years but what looked like a dead dream was actually an unfolding miracle in their lives and what looked like a disappointment and sadness and grief and heartache this was the man who would bring deliverance but not only was he in place of deliverance but Joseph would tell his brothers you tried to kill me you meant it for bad but God meant it for good and God had sent me on ahead to prepare for this time when you didn't have food there would be food let me simply pause with enough boldness to say you might have faced something not even realizing that God had to send something ahead of his miracle he had to send something away for something incredible to happen in your life and when I come to this realization I may look I may look at a bloody coat. I may look at a place of disappointment. I may deal with heartache. But in all reality, if God has to let me feel a heartache to let the miracle happen in my life, then God, let me feel it. Don't hold it back. Don't withhold it from me, God. I won't understand it. I may be left holding a shredded, bloody, tattered garment that represents my dream. But I say God whatever it takes let this miracle happen let this prayer come to pass I will not accept that bloody report in my life amen amen trust me trust me today I I just absolutely feel God's got his hand on people here and God knows what's going on in your world and things have gone down in your life that might not make a bit of sense but God has working and God's planning and God's arranging and God uh, and you you may be you may be trying to deal with things that just absolutely don't make sense uh, but keep the faith uh, because that is your cross to bear someone else uh, has a different cross uh, somebody else is carrying a different burden but trust me the guy on this side of the church uh, and the gal on this side of the church uh, you're both carrying a similar burden and probably one looks heavier than the other but we are really not able to judge uh, the weight uh, of that burden and the thing that we carry but this one thing we do know neither can we measure or judge the greatness uh, of God neither can we measure or judge his abilities to reach down and transform our circumstance if you've lost your faith today I've come to preach your faith back alive if you've been dealing with something and you don't feel joy today 
today I've come to preach your joy alive. Your dream is not dead. This thing is unfolding. God's working in your life. You keep the faith. You keep the faith. You keep the faith. You stand up and clap your hands in the middle of that storm and say, God, I'm in this place, but I rejoice in you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. How can you but be excited when you remember moments when God took the most incredible thing and makes it into something else? Like the time Jesus comes off the mountain where he has been transfigured. Up there, he's taken three disciples and they observe that the absolute presence and glory of God settles upon the very physical human body of Jesus and he becomes transfigured in front of them now in my in my in my mind I think that that he took on some heavenly dimension at that time I I don't know what it meant to be transfigured but I do understand these toys that people have these kids have today that are transformers and you have what looks like a a monster of some kind, some beast of some kind. And these kids have learned how to flip three or four items around and it becomes a car that you don't mind, your five-year-old rolling around and playing with because, because of the transforming of, of, of what's going on and that toy is able to go from one thing to another and somehow on that mountain that day, the human physical body of Jesus became trans. Figured, and somehow there was a heavenly glowing anointed dimension that came over him. Those disciples that were with him said, let's build three temples right here. Uh, let's, let's, let's just stop here and let's build three temples right here. And that wasn't the plan of God. And they're coming off the mountain from this incredible experience when a dad runs up to him and says, Lord, can you touch my boy? Your disciples can't touch him. They've prayed for him. They don't have any power. Can you touch him? He he throws himself in the fire. He throws himself in the water. He's trying to hurt himself. He's he's self-destructive in so many ways. He is full of the devil. Can you help him? And the Lord looked at him and he said, I'll be glad to. And he touches and speaks to the boy. And the boy falls out on the ground. I've used this verse so many times. But the boy falls out as if he was dead. And he was laying there on the ground, passed out. And there were people around him that said, he is dead. There were people standing. Standing there in that moment who were hungry for God. They loved God. They followed God. They were followers of Christ. They were not bad people in any way. But there's some people who look at the evidence that lays before them and automatically thinks it's over with and there's no way anything good can come from that. He was as if he was dead, the scripture says, and people were pronouncing the judgment of death over his life. But you and I both know that that boy was not dead. That boy had been delivered of the demonic powers that were trying to destroy his life. You and I know that absolutely he was lying there in some sort of a trance. Some sort some sort of having passed out under the influence of the miracle that was taking place with him. And there were those that couldn't recognize that. And they said that he was dead. I refuse 
choose uh, to accept uh, what I see as the end product uh, of what's going to be. Uh, Some of you have got children that are not saved. And I refuse to accept the report of an unsaved child. Some of you have unsaved spouses that that are not uh, where they need to be. And I could could just go right along and say, oh, well, they're good folks, uh, but they're lost. Uh, But I don't accept that. Uh, I believe uh, there's going to be some spouses uh, get on fire for God. I believe there's some backslidden children that's going to come into this house. I believe there's some disappointments that are going to walk out and some joy is going to walk back and take its place. It is with this this morning that I absolutely feel with faith. It is with this this morning that I can just come with you with a complete confidence in the Holy Ghost that I'm not going to believe what I see and I'm not going to believe what I hear and I'm not going to believe the facts if it comes back that it's too late, they've gone too far, too much has happened, there's no way I say today and I'll just be bold enough to say this today. I believe that there can be the spirit of homosexuality sexuality delivered out uh, delivered out uh, delivered out uh, and and God's plan for that life uh, be put back in order I'm bold enough to say that that blindness uh, can leave somebody's eyes I am bold enough to say the disease of cancer does not have the right uh, to stay and I understand the reports I understand the reports, uh, but I stand here this morning and I've come to preach uh, into the face of your adversary. I've come to preach uh, into the face uh, of your adversity. I've come to preach uh, and defy that giant in your life uh, that is trying to push you down and intimidate you. I've come this morning to lift my voice today and speak to that mountain of oppression or bad reports or disappointment and I say mountain ye be thou removed I've come to preach to your mountain I've come to preach to your fears I've come to preach to your intimidations I've come to preach to those things which have bothered you I'm preaching right now to your dead dry bones I'm preaching right now to your valley of disappointment your valley of of, of confusion I'm preaching to your dread dry bones and I'm preaching to the wind that is coming back into your life. I preach to dead bones. I declare dead bones will live. Dead circumstances will live. I've come to preach today that dead dreams can live. Dead callings can live. Dead dead things can come back to life. And with that today, I preach to that valley of bones. I preach to it today. I don't accept the report. I don't accept it. I don't accept it. Is anybody ready to stand up with me and say, Pastor, I'm not accepting what I hear. I'm not accepting this report. There ought to be somebody with enough faith today to lift up your voice and say, Pastor, I just believe God's going to take this. He's going to work something good out of it. Ah, hallelujah. 
Ah, you don't have faith anymore. Can you be bold enough to stand up and say, I gotta have some faith. I gotta have some strength. I gotta have some joy. I gotta have my faith restored. Hear me. You destroy your faith. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. You spirits of discouragement. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Oh, clap your hands. Clap your hands. Clap your hands. Hallelujah. 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 Some here might not understand what I'm doing here today. And some might, might not understand and say, what is he yelling about? Why is he getting all worked up about it? I'm here today to simply declare that hell will do everything it can to destroy and to kill and to discourage. But I refuse to accept that. I don't mind making a mess of myself trying to preach against this stuff. Because hell doesn't mind trying to make a mess of me. And if I'm going to be a mess anyway. If I'm going to be a mess anyway, I might as well be a mess filled with faith and filled with anointing and filled with glory. Hallelujah. Sweep in here, Holy Ghost. Sweep in here, mighty God. Hallelujah. Oh. So imagine, imagine when Jacob's boys get back from Egypt and say, Dad, you're not going to believe this. You're not going to believe this, Dad. Our brother and your son, Jacob, is alive. Imagine the confusion and the mess that got started out in Jacob's mind right then. As a matter of fact, having lost a child in our family... Things that belong to that child become precious and they have special places in our life. Naturally. I can see Jacob going over to that place where he's kept that bloody shredded coat all these years. And there's no doubt he's folded it. He's got it wrapped in some sort of tissue paper to keep it from going too bad. And I can see him open up the lid of that chest and look. He said, all this time, I've been dealing and I've been accepting with this. But you're telling me my boy is not dead. Wrap your mind around that moment. He's remembering, I've got evidence of his death, but I've got evidence of his life. I'm here today. You might be dealing with folded up, preserved evidence of a dead dream. But here, pastor, today, you may be dealing with things that are way more than you even understand how God can take care of that. But that 
thing which you think is dead, that dream that you think is over, I'm here with a word from God for you today to remind you and declare unto you that dream is not dead. That dream is not dead. I don't care how well preserved you've kept the evidence. I don't care how well versed and rehearsed you are with the evidence. I don't care what the evidence says. There's a word from God for you today. Your dream is alive. Your dream is alive. Your dream is alive. Your dream, your dream, your dream is alive. Gather with me around the front and bring your faith when you come. Bring your faith when you come. Bring your faith when you come. Bring your faith. Don't leave it back there on the bench. Don't stick it away in your purse. Don't be embarrassed of it. It might be dried up and shriveled up, but it's your faith. And today, there's a fresh breath of life coming into that faith. Today, there's a fresh breath of confidence in the Holy Ghost that's coming your way. There's an answer from God, and there's fresh faith arriving today. There is an answered prayer going to happen around here today. Hallelujah. Can you lift your voices up now? Lift your hands and shout out to the Lord. God, I believe it. Lord, I receive it. Lord, I receive it. Lord, I receive it.